Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I feel a little bit off today. It's because uh, my other half isn't here. She's homesick. So I don't feel like I'm all here yet today. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and I just thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. I just pray now that you would be with us the rest or uh, the remainder of this time that we have together. God, I ask for wisdom as I speak. Lord, as always, we ask this every week that you would guide my words and direct uh, the things that are said today. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, well, last week we talked about marriage. Um, this week we're going to talk about another topic related to that one. Uh, I'd like to give you a couple reasons why this sermon is challenging, though. Uh, personal reasons here. Uh, reason number one. I'm going to give you a couple reasons. Reason number one why I had a hard time this week. It was challenging, not just right now while I'm up here, but uh, even in preparing for this. I felt like there was a real challenge in preparing for this as well. Uh, the first reason I have is that uh, I, ha- I have a desire to be and the word is definitive. Anybody ever heard that word before? Definitive. Now, the topic I'm talking about is divorce. Okay? You know, the Bible talks about divorce. Did you guys know that? Yeah. Um, and I want to be definitive. In fact, somebody at, on Wednesday night when we were talking about this topic, somebody mentioned uh, that they don't know if they've ever heard a pastor uh, be definitive. Now, the word definitive means to reach decisively like a conclusion and with authority. Okay, so say something clearly. And I'm like, well, the Bible does speak on this. I want to be able to be definitive about this. And somebody mentioned on Wednesday night, they don't know if they've ever heard a pastor be definitive on this topic. In fact, as I was thinking about that, I thought, I don't know if I've ever heard a pastor even preach on this topic. And so I thought I would ask before we went any further, has anybody ever, I don't know, let's ask this the right way. Would anybody say, I don't think I've ever heard, so no, this is going to be the negative response, right? I don't think I've ever heard a pastor preach on, maybe they've mentioned it, but I don't think I've ever heard a pastor preach on divorce. Would anybody say, I don't think I've ever heard that before? Okay, so quite a few of you, I don't don't think you've ever heard that before, like a pastor preacher, maybe they've talked about it, but to actually preach a sermon on this topic, um, I, I think is pretty rare, which is weird if you think about it. I'll show you why it's weird. Who in this room is acquainted with the topic of divorce? You've heard of it, you're aware of it, or you know somebody, or maybe you are yourself. Everybody. And yet, it's not something that a lot of pastors have talked about. So I wanted to be definitive on this topic. Um, I don't want you to get me wrong here. It's not that I am enjoying the prospect of talking about this. I'm not up here going, yippee skippy. I get to talk about divorce. No. Um, but you can imagine why that would be a challenging thing. I think some pastors even seek to avoid the topic. I do think that some uh, tend to go one way or the other. Okay? Uh, John MacArthur, you guys know who John MacArthur is? Heard him on the radio, probably. Um, he says pastors tend to go one way or the other when it comes to this topic. He says they tend to either go one way where they they go off one end of the spectrum where they, they come down and they paint this absolute black and white picture. Um, and he described it as 
tightening the Bible's perspective. So let's say right here, hopefully because I'm preaching from right here, let's say this is going to be the Bible's perspective. He said some people, they, they tend to raise the standard higher than what the Bible would say. Okay? He says at the other end of the spectrum, people tend to lower the standard on what the Bible says. And he says a lot of pastors tend to fall one way or the other, and that ought not to be our goal, right? My, what should my goal be? What the Bible says. It's challenging, though, to do that. I think that one of the reasons why we tend to not raise the standard but lower the standard is out of compassion. Do you see why I might say that? Um, and I want you to know, I mentioned this last week, I want you to know everything that we talk about in church, if, if you're hearing what the Bible says and you walk away defeated, destroyed, or discouraged, then you haven't heard it clearly. So if you walk away with that perspective, that's not my goal, and I don't believe that's God's goal for you to have, have you walk away defeated, destroyed, or discouraged. Just out. And honestly, some people who have raised a standard have caused that to happen. People who have been divorced have ended up feeling like second-class citizens, and that's not biblically true. I want you to know right up front. It's just not true. So we need to talk about this topic, and we need to talk about it the way the Bible would talk about it. So I want to be definitive, but as you can imagine, because of compassion, um, it's a tough topic to talk about. A second reason, though, uh, that I found it challenging this week is because I want to be exhaustive. You guys know what the word exhaustive means? It doesn't just mean you're tired, right? Although if I was going to be exhaustive, you might be tired when I'm done. Because exhaustive means to cover every possible scenario and aspect. So I said, well, I don't want to be, ex I, okay, maybe I can't be exhaustive, but I want to be comprehensive. There's another if word. Uh, comprehensive. Can I be comprehensive on the topic at least? And I, the more I thought about it, the more, and honestly, this is, what I, this is where I was at this week. Uh, I started really digging, like I've been thinking about it, but I started really digging in Thursday and then Friday and then yesterday. And the, the more I tried to dig into it, the more I felt overwhelmed because there was a part of my brain wanting to be comprehensive on this topic. I don't think I could even be comprehensive to deal with every situation just in this room when it comes to married, divorced, uh, widowed. I mean, the whole spectrum of where everybody's at in this room. I don't think I could even cover all the topics just of the people here. And this is a small church. So can you imagine how overwhelming it would be if I was sitting there trying, which that's what I was doing. I was trying to be comprehensive. Like, I want to give the ultimate picture on how the Bible deals with Do you think I can do that today? No, which means I'm going to do this again. We started this last week, and I'm going to borrow Samuel again. Sorry, buddy. Get up here, boy. Um, there you go. I'm going to pass out some pens. So as I'm going through, I know that last week I had this. I got about eight or nine um, cards already. But as I'm going through today, please, please, in fact, this week, I'm actually going to pause a couple times to give you a chance to jot in case you're, you can't write and listen at the same time. You're like, pat your head, rub your tummy. You're like, I can't do two things at once. If I start writing, I can't hear anything you're saying. So if that's the case, I'll pause occasionally. So if you'd like to jot down questions that you may have as we're going, you don't have to put your name on it. If you want to put your name on it, that's fine. You'd be like, this is my, I mean, if you want to be real honest, this is my situation. What about this? You didn't talk about it specifically. Uh, Wednesday night, what I'm going to do Wednesday night, especially Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night, is I'm going to focus 
basically on just the questions that we get. So I have some from last week. Hopefully I get some more today. And let's talk about some of those things on Wednesday night where we have some time to uh, go to the Bible and say this is what it says. It also gives me some time to look at some questions and then go to the scriptures and say this is what it says and try to come up with some good answers for you. Okay? But I can't be absolutely definitive. I hope I'm going to get close. Um, I, don't, I know I can't be exhaustive. And so I finally settled on, in my preparing, I thought, why am I, I, I mean, I was beating myself up. Like, I mean, I was reading, I was trying to read every book I could find, biblical books. On, I mean, th- I'm like, I, I don't even have time to read all the stuff. That, and then the more I read, the more I realized, man, there's so much that can be said about it. The more I did that, the more I was overwhelmed. And I thought, okay, Matt, stop. And yesterday morning, I said, okay, Matt. Actually, I think it was, okay, Lord. What do you want me to do here? Do you want me to try to cover every spectrum of this topic? The clear answer was no. And the word that popped in my head was, um, I felt like God would say, Matt, just preach what Paul says. Because that's what we're doing, isn't it? Isn't that why we came here? Because we're going through 1 Corinthians, and we got to where Paul talks about this. So I said, okay, I'm going to preach what Paul says. And once I did that, I found that, man, this Paul is full of wisdom here. I hope that you see that as we go. Third reason why I found this challenging is because once I got to that point and I was doing good on those first two aspects, I came to this third challenge. And I thought, you know, and this is, this is psychological, okay? So in case you didn't know this, Matt's a little crazy. Did you guys know that already? Now don't nod your head's too big. A little, little off, a little crazy. Um, my mind plays games with me. Anybody else have that problem? Mind starts playing games with you? One of the games, my mind games that uh, goes on in my head is, is uh, I feel the sense, and I, I know John and I, we've talked about this before. Like you feel the sense you want when you get up here. You know God's role for you, but there's this little voice that whispers in and says, you got to be interesting. You got to be exciting. If you're not, Matt, everybody's going to leave. You're going to come into church one day and nobody's going to be. You know, I struggle with that. Have I talked about that before? Um, And so my third challenge was the more I started going through, the more I felt like, well, this doesn't feel as much like a sermon as it does a lesson. And I hope that you're okay with that. Because my crazy psycho brain is telling me you're probably not going to be like one a sermon. Well-rounded, good application point at the end. Lots of illustrations in the middle. Preferably something with a puppy. I mean, that's, that's what I think, okay? But um, I'm not going to be able to do that. But I am going to try to go through here and tell you this is what Paul says. So I want to jump in to verse 6 of chapter 7, verse 6. And Paul, I'm going to pick up this. I actually mentioned this verse last week. Paul says in verse 6, he says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. Now, I only have this one little short verse up here because I actually learned something interesting this week about this verse. See that word, this? Um, for those of you that, you, that know uh, English, what, what part of, what, what kind of word is the word this? Pronoun? Good, somebody knew. Some of you went to school, good. Uh, pronoun, I'm a math teacher, so, but I, I knew that one. Um, maybe you didn't know what I was looking for there. Uh, it's, a, it's a pronoun. So th- this, it means it re- it's referring to something else, right? When he says this, it's, 
It's a way of saying this is referring to something different. I always assumed he was referring to what he was going to say next, which is verse 7. But he's not. He's actually referring to what he had just said previously. He said, so he said something previously in verse 5. Verse 5, if you remember, he was talking about married couples. And specifically in the verses coming up to this, and, and once again, we'll have to go down this path. He said, he said married couples ought not to deprive one, one another of something. What, I'm going to make you guys say it. What, what ought they not to deprive one another of? Intima Thank you. Somebody has a better, more, more churchy word for us. It's good. Uh, I love trying to get everybody to say the other word because they, all, they always mumble it out. Nobody says it nice and loud. They're like, uh, right? Yes, there, somebody said it. Good. So Paul says, though, hey, you ought not to deprive one another, except, he says, by, you know, a short time and for a purpose. And he, he gives an example. Maybe you, you wanna, there's something you really want to pray about. So we're going to hold off from this for a short time. But he says, but don't let it be too long. You need to come back together again to avoid temptation. I mean, that's what Paul says in verse 5. And then verse 6, he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. So he's, it's something he's conceding. I always thought that this was referring to what he was going to say next, but it's not. It's referring back to that. He says, that was a concession. And it makes sense if you think about it. If you need to, for particular reasons, I get it. So Paul says, okay. But then we move on. So now I want you to get your pens and your cards ready. Because if you get to some questions, you may have some questions about that. Which, by the way, in case you didn't know, uh, Katie, make sure that all these sermons are recorded. So if you ever miss one and you're like, man, what was he talking about last week? We have it on our website. If you need to know what that is, we can help you out, point you to it. Um, like I said, this Wednesday, I'm going to do some Q&A. Uh, I'd love if you all came. I want to answer those questions. But uh, if you can't, uh, schedule an appointment with me. What about this situation, Matt? What does the Bible say about this? And we'll work it out. But let's go on to verse 7 now, and let's listen to Paul the Apostle as he continues down this path. He says this next, I wish, he says, so he's been talking about married couples. And he turns here and he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift, Greek word grace, but each has his own grace from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul says, and I touched on this last week, he says, I He's talking about this, this topic. I think maybe he's thinking, man, that's a, that's a tough topic. And he, I think he, as he's steering in this next direction, he pauses, he says, he's speaking for himself. And he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Um, I have to ask that question, though. What is he? Interesting question. He just says, I myself am. Verse 8, then, let's go to this. We're going to start to get a picture. It's going to unfold. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain. Now, the word single there is not in the Greek. It's not there. We've thrown that in to help you understand what he's talking about. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain as I am. And some of your versions may just say it that way. Remain as I am. He's talking about these two things. I think, I believe, not just think. I believe absolutely and this is where I'm shifting into lesson mentality. If you're following along with what Paul's saying, Paul fits into one of these two categories. These two categories, you've got unmarried and widows. Okay, widows or widowers. 
The unmarried in this particular case, a little bit later, Paul's going to use a word that in some versions say, I think it's verse 34, he uses the word virgins, or uh, in the King James it says virgin, and in other versions it says betrothed. But understand that there's these three words that Paul is using that are Greek words, and so I don't want you to get confused by our English words. So there's three categories it kind of breaks up, or four. He's got the married people, right? He shifts into these next two categories, the unmarried and the widows. Understand that these two here, unmarried and widows, are both people that are no longer married, either by death or by divorce. Okay? Take this into consideration. In verse 34, Paul uses that first word again, unmarried, and he says that word either virgins or betrothed, however you want to translate it. But that's a word that's specifically used to talk about, and he says it as two separate groups, unmarried or betrothed. The betrothed are the ones that haven't been married yet. Right? That's why the King James translates virgins. So, this unmarried in this particular case is talking about, and we'll see this again in the, in the next couple verses, is not talking about someone who has never been married. It's talking about someone who is no longer married. Every commentary I read affirms this particular thought. If you have questions about that, that'd make a good one. I don't know if I agree with that, Matt. Prove it. Okay, so that'd be a great thing. And I'm not, maybe I'm being too sarcastic with that, but I'm being serious. If you, if you have questions about these things, write them down. Okay? To the unmarried and the widows... Paul says this, it is good for them to remain as I am. That means that Paul, does that not mean that Paul falls into one of these two categories? That might change your opinion of Paul for a moment, doesn't it? Uh, I was talking, with this, uh, talking to John about this last week, and he brought up something where he had read as well. Paul was part of the Sanhedrin, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul was part of the Sanhedrin, and to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. Yeah. So there's a ton of evidence to say that Paul, at some point before he was an apostle, was married. We don't know. In fact, it's tough because this verse doesn't even tell us which one he falls into. But Paul was either divorced, had been divorced, uh, now no longer married, or maybe his wife had passed away. We don't know. But this is Paul, and Paul says, if you're in this case, you're in this situation, these two additional groups, right, whether by death or divorce, and he uses this word, remain. Now, if you're a note-taking person, you can jot that word down, remain. If you're an underlining person in your Bibles, you may want to open your Bibles and underline that word, remain, because I think that we're starting to get a, a picture or a principle of where Paul is going with his teaching. Okay? Now, the principle that's being laid out, I think, is found in this word remain. He says, now, if you can't remain in that state because of a burning desire to be in a married relationship, I think, he says, then you should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But the principle, I think, is laid out there and I have to be honest, at this particular point, I think this is fairly definitive. So I'm going to pause now and let you chew on this. Paul is dealing with, just like today, people that have come into the church. Okay? So imagine the Corinthian church, and imagine it's probably not, not that much different than ours. So you have some people who've come into the church that are married, and he's been talking to them. This is how it should be. So you've got these married couples that are in the church, and he's telling them how to be. But then he shifts gears, and he says, but now... For the ones that are, are no longer married, right? Unmarried and widowed. He lays out a principle. 
you, you should try to remain. If, if you can't, because of a temptation to sin, what's he say to do? It, he says it's okay, okay to get married. Do you hear him saying that? Now, this may be different than maybe what you've learned or understood. I'm just laying out, this is what Paul is saying right here. People that have come into the church, if you're in this particular category, it, this, now there's a ton of all these little avenues. You may even have some that starting to pop in your head. Well, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about this? That's what the cards are for. Okay? But just like today, people have come into the Corinthian church. Some are no longer married because of death or divorce. And I think they're having the same questions for Paul. The principle, he says, remain. But if you can't because of passion, right, then it's okay. I think, let's say you've got someone who's coming to the church, regardless of their previous life story, they're coming to the church and they're one of these two categories, right? He lays out this general principle. If you can, remain. Paul said, I wish you could just write in that state. But if you can't because of passion, let's say you, you can't because you're getting to this place, maybe it's through a friendship or relationship, and you're like, I'm struggling. Is that not what Paul says here? Struggling? Paul says, marriage is a great option, and it's not sin. Okay? But this isn't really where it gets messy, right? And doesn't this topic get messier? I was actually, a few minutes ago, when I was sitting here doing that last song, I was actually plotting ways that I could get out of the building without anybody seeing me. I'm not, I'm not even joking. I was sitting here going, how can I get out of here? <laughs> I don't know if I want to talk about this. Paul then says next, okay, so he's, he's laying out some scenarios. He's talked to the married couples that have come in. Then he talks about, okay, you came into the church, you came, became part of the church, and you're not married. Lays out a, a good principle. Here it is. Verse 10, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Meaning, he's taken this teaching directly from Jesus. And so if you're a note-taking person off in the corner of your Bible, or if you wanted to jot it down somewhere else, uh, two great places to find Jesus' teaching that Paul is going to play out here is Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. If you're like, what does Jesus say on this topic? That's a great place to go right there, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Or uh, you could read uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Jesus lays out an answer to a question, what about this topic? All Paul is doing right here is saying, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I'm getting this teaching directly from the historical, actual Jesus, what we know that he taught. And he says this, the wife should not separate from her husband. Okay, now understand once again, this word separate, Paul didn't have in the, the, this particular time, they didn't have a term for separation. That's a word that we would use, right? Legal separation, they're separated. Paul's talking about, and you can see the, the, mirror, the mirror placed out here. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain a marriage. See the word remain pops in there again. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So in these two cases, the word separate and the word divorce are used the same way. So what's he talking about in both these cases? Divorce. So he's laying out, this is Jesus' teaching to the married. Come in here, you've joined the church, and you're married. Don't get divorced. Right? Now, as soon as I say that, what happens? The messiness of life. 
Fill, and please, what about this? What about this? What about this? This is Jesus' teaching. It's interesting that he says, but if she does, she should remain. There's that word, remain unmarried. Notice that word unmarried is used to describe someone who is divorced, right? See the language being played out here so we can understand what he's saying? So here we are, back to group one. This charge directly from Jesus. The unmarried in this verse is referring to a divorced person. In Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, Jesus does give an exception. You guys know what it is? He says, except by what? Yeah, adultery. Jesus does give, in one case, in the case of marital unfaithfulness, but understand that it's in that case, Jesus doesn't say you should. He just says, in those cases, there's this option. I think, I believe, the exception to permissibly divorce is granted by Jesus, not commanded to do so. I believe this is more of a protection for the spouse that is being sinned against. I think there was that protection that Jesus saw and wove into that particular situation. This brings up about a bajillion other questions, does it not? In fact, it's so many questions that somebody's calling in to ask one right now. <laughs> right? No. It, there's all these, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to know what God's stance on this is, Again, go back and read Hosea. It's not laid out like, oh, if this happens, you've got to do it. There's hope, hope, hope given again and again and again. But there is this exception that Jesus himself lays out. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on Wednesday talking about the exception. If you have questions about it, jot it down. I'd like you to allow me to take a short rabbit trail. This is going to be a short sermon today, by the way. I want you to allow me to take a short rabbit trail here. I'm going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail off to the side. Um, and I'm going to use a quote from a guy named Jay Adams. Um, I'm not supporting everything Jay Adams says or does, but I think this quote captures so much that's important. So I'm going to go through this nice and slow. If you are reading it and you go, man, I'd like to, I need to jot that down, let me know. I'll print it out for you. You can take a look at it again. But it captured so well what, what my own thoughts in this are. J. Adams says this, he says, to begin with, in talking about divorce, he says, to begin with, let us be clear about the fact that neither is the Bible silent on the subject of divorce, nor does it always, under all circumstances for everyone, condemn divorce. Okay? That much is established at the outset. I think you can see that clearly from Matthew 19. This is laid out. Well, God emphatically says in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, and he does, he says that in Malachi 2.16, that statement must not be taken absolutely to mean that there is nothing about divorce that could be anything but detestable, because he himself also tells us in Jeremiah 3.8, God speaking, For the adulteries which faithless Israel had done, I sent her away and gave her a divorce bill. Is that a shock to anyone? I mean, not to be too simplistic about it, but God sent faithless Israel away. What does it say in Jeremiah 3.8? 
a divorce bill. You could say, and if this rubs you the wrong way, I'm only slightly sorry. You could say that God himself knows divorce. You may have that and you may go, I don't know how to feel about that. I hear that and I go, God understands so much. He continues on to say this, Jay Adams. He said, as God himself became involved in divorce proceedings with Israel, it is surely wrong to condemn any and all divorce out of hand. Obviously, from this passage and the passage from Matthew 19, it is certain that sometimes, in some ways, divorce for some persons, under some circumstances, is altogether proper and not the object of God's hatred if God himself did it. And I can see the steam coming out of some of your ears just trying to process this. It is altogether true that God hates divorce, but he neither hates all divorces in the same way nor hates every aspect of divorce. He hates what occasions every divorce. I think we would too, wouldn't we? He hates what, he, he hates what occasions every divorce, even the one that he gave to sin, sinful Israel. He hates the results that often flow to children and to injured parties of a divorce. Yet even that did not stop him from willing, and by that he means commanding, divorce in Ezra chapter 10, verses 44 and 11. If you're interested in those, please jot those down. Take a peek at what God says for the Israelites to do in Ezra chapter 10. He commanded some divorces in those cases. And he hates divorces wrongly obtained on grounds that he has not sanctioned. But that leaves some things about divorce that he does not hate. Now, you guys are super quiet right now, which my psycho brain either means, A, you guys are going, Matt has gone off the deep end, or you're, maybe you're just processing. Maybe you're confused, or maybe you're sitting there going, I haven't heard it put this way before. I want to encourage you, write the questions down. Open up dialogue with me. Consider the things that I've said. I hope that number one, that what you do is you say, if I want to know what God says on this topic, I need to go to the Bible. And if the Bible says, number one, it, if it says differently than what I've said, who ought you to reject? Me. What stands supreme is the final authority? God's word. As I sit up here, my goal and what I'm hoping to do, and I think from these quotes, I'm hoping to do is play out, this is what I believe he's saying. I'm trying to be as careful as I can to say the same things God says. Not more than what he says, but also not less. And that is so difficult to do. If you don't know that's true, I'm telling you right now, it's difficult to do to say, I want to say as much as what God says, not more, but not less. I'm going to give you a moment of silence to jot down questions. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Maybe jot down some of those references. Jeremiah 3.8, where God issued a decree of divorce for faithless Israel. 
Ezra chapter 10, verses 11 and 44. Or it's actually Ezra 10, 44, and it's chapter 11 is what he's talking about, Ezra chapter 11. Matthew 19. Jot those questions down. Maybe you don't know how to formulate them. Jot it down and hold on to it until you're ready to figure out how to ask it. That's the end of my rabbit trail. We're going to jump back to where Paul's at. Let's think about what he's done so far. In chapter 5, don't have sex outside of marriage. It's wrong. Right? Chapter 5 into chapter 6, saying those things. Chapter 7, the beginning of it. If you're married, do it. I may be so blunt. It's a good gift of God that he's given as part of marriage. Don't withhold. Beginning of chapter 7. In chapter 7, I think because the Corinthian church is probably like churches even today, you get a lot of people coming from a lot of different situations. And I think especially people coming from different situations before they were even Christians. Or maybe if you went to church, you weren't really a Christian, you just now started really following God, you want to know what God wants. So we have all these people filtering in. And so Paul's going through some different broad strokes, but different situations. So then he says what? He says, if you're unmarried, you're no longer married, or whether it's through death or divorce... Seek to remain, good principle to follow, remain. If, if you can't because of temptation to sin, so if you want to get married in that particular case, what is he talking about? With marriage, he's talking about remarriage. It's okay, it's not a sin. Then he goes on, he goes, come back to the married. Now the married, if you're married, if you come in to church, you're married. The idea principle is the same, remain, stay. There's some instances where he lays that out. But then he says this, verse 12. To the rest I say, which is interesting because I feel like we've covered all the categories so far, but he goes, to the rest I say this. And listen, this is so, so important. He says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord, not meaning that we can skip this part. Well, well, this is just Paul, we can skip it. He's just saying, this isn't the stuff I got from the history of Jesus' teaching, but now this is me teaching, but he's still teaching under the inspiration of the Spirit. He says this, if any brother has a wife, who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Is the principle not the same? What is it? Remain. Now, he's going to give an interesting reason here in just a minute, but think about the situation for the Corinthians. Let's say you've got in the Corinthian church, let's say somebody hears the gospel for the first time, and they hear it, and they believe it. They start attending church, but maybe their spouse doesn't. The spouse might be continuing to worship the other gods of the Roman Empire. One of the concerns that some of these early Christians had was, well, that person's in this idolatrous religion. Their question is, would that be defiling me? Is it bad for me? Should I? Do you see why they might think that? This is not about... I don't really like the guy anymore. It's about saying, is this wrong? Does God want me to leave this guy because he's not a Christian, but I am? Paul teaches in other places not to be unequally yoked. If, you're, if you've never been married and you're looking to be married, should you marry someone that's not a Christian? No, you should try to avoid that. But what, what happens here? What, what if, you're, what if you're, you get saved? Now suddenly here you are as a Christian and this person here is, is not a Christian. What should you do? Should you leave him? Paul says what? No. If you can, remain. 
He says this, to the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife as an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him. So this person that's not a believer, they go, I want to stay in the marriage. He should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Automatic, not right? We're not just write this thing off. And he says this, for the unbelieving husband, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, what this does not mean is that if you're a Christian and your spouse isn't, that just by your very nature, they automatically become Christians. That's not what this means. What it does mean is that, because the word holy means set apart. What it does mean is that for you to maintain and hold on to this, you yourself are setting them apart for that potential of salvation. You can see this even more in the next one, right? Uh, the next few verses here. Verse 15 but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Don't make a big right, fight about it. Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So you're not, if they decide to leave, you're not enslaved to that. God has called you to, here's a very, very important word, peace. And then he says this, for how do you know? How do you know? Wife, whether you will save your husband. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? How do you know that your actions of staying and remaining, trying to, but what's interesting about this particular verse is this. The how do you know that he gets to is after the case of maybe they've separated. Separated mean divorce. And I think what he's saying here is this. God has called you to peace. And maybe even you in this, in the peace, might lead to their salvation. And I think, I would hope, maybe even reunification. See, there's something bigger at stake here. And this is the thing that I hope that you will see. In fact, he goes into this next overarching principle. He just lays it out clearly, verse 17. And this is kind of where we're going to end this message on. Because Paul, what he does next is he says, I'm going I'm to lay out a principle. He's been alluding to it, alluding to it, alluding to it, and then he kind of lays it out right here, and he uses some other non-marriage examples. He says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. You know what he's talking about again? Remain. Remain. He's teaching this, he says, just in case the Corinthians are saying, are you only telling us this? He says, I'm teaching this everywhere in all the churches. This is my rule that I teach. This is the, the way that I talk to everybody. But let's unpack this a little. Paul's going to give some examples. First example he gives is a religious one. He says, was anyone at the time of his call, meaning when they came to Christ, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I don't know how you would do that anyway. <laughs> Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. But what, what's the point here? These things aren't the big picture. Remain. The place that you're in, remain in that place. God calls you into this place. Your, your number one goal is not to change status. 
There's something bigger. And Paul just plays it out by saying, remain. He gives a reason for that example. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but what really counts? Keeping the commandments of God. Doing what God says. Do what God says. Don't see, don't, your number one goal, and this is where so many of us go wrong in so many other ways. We let our number one goal be our status. Moving up the ladder, changing people's opinion of how we're viewed. I think that's kind of contained in this particular one. Changing the, Paul says, no, do what God says. Leave these other things in his hand. He says it again, in case you're wondering, did he really mean that? Yes, he did. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. He's going to give another example. Were you a bondservant when called? Now, a bondservant in this time period is basically someone who was a slave. They were owned by somebody else. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it, he says. Number one concern, that's not it. It's about being obedient to God. What's he say? Were you a bondservant called? Do, don't be concerned about it. If you can, give your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. That, so practical, isn't it? Not obsessed. If the opportunity come, yeah, it'd be great. Not the number one concern. What's my number one concern? God might have me here for a purpose. God might have me in this station, this place, this situation for a purpose. Now, he's using these examples to illustrate marriage, a marriage that, where the spouse is not saved. And, and what did he say in that case? He says, how do you know that you might not bring them to Christ? And I think now, he, as he's playing out these examples, especially this one, you see it again. How do you know that God might not have you in the station, the status, the condition, whatever you want to call it, for a purpose? We are too quick to try to change our circumstances. How do we know? Maybe God's got you in that for a reason, for a purpose. He helps people out with this particular one. He says, for he who was uh, called in the Lord as a bondservant. <laughs> it's not really true. You're a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of Christ because you were bought with a price. Don't seek to change. Once again, it's remain. Don't seek to become bondservants of men. You're ultimately free in the Lord, but you're also, also owned by Him, bought with a price. Remain, He says. And then He says it again. So brothers, in whatever condition... Now how many times has He said this same statement? Is this the first, second, or third time? Third, right? So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, there let Him remain with God. Blank screen. Okay, got your questions? Get them jotted down? I'm just curious. Who's got questions? You don't have to ask them right now. I'm just curious. Anybody have any questions so far? Yeah, good, good. I'm so happy. Good questions. Jot them down. Did I cover, was I comprehensive? Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. Jot those things down if you're, what about this case? What about this situation? I also know, as much as I try to be definitive, I also know that there's a possibility that maybe I said something, you go, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm a human being. I may have said something incorrectly. Feel free to ask. 
I don't have a problem with that. But I hope to be definitive. Tried to be. As you leave today, if you have those questions, comments, concerns, disagreements, challenges, all of the above, jot them down. There's that, it says offering at the back. There's a box back there. Feel free to fold it up, drop it in. Wednesday night, before Wednesday, I'm going to open, I'm going to open up all those uh, and address those and try to answer the questions. If you want to be here for that, feel free to come Wednesday night. Uh, what time do we start? Six? Is that right? 6 p.m.? Uh, we usually meet in a we get in a circle, uh, very casual. If you want to talk about those things, I'm more than happy to. Um, I know that today was not as much like a sermon. It's more of just a lesson. I know it was also, for some of you, it may have been challenging to hear some of those things. Are you okay with that? What I love about it is that there's a sense where Paul, as he gets to this illustration in the middle, so he's talking about these things. Right after this, he goes to talk about the topic I haven't talked about yet, which I'm also going to speak on Wednesday night, is what about the ones who have never been married yet? There's a whole little section on that. I do not have time to talk about that today. Um, but what about, what about those people? They, they haven't been married. How, how should they view it? What should they do? And Paul's got some advice there. I know that today wasn't maybe what you were expecting for a Sunday morning, but it needed to be talked about. And it was where we were headed in 1 Corinthians. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, jot them down, put them in the box, talk to me afterwards, whatever you need to do. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Okay? I'll be subconsciously praying that some of you come back again next Sunday, but uh, uh, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And uh, hoping that God will take these passages, use them, maybe if it's jarred you a little bit from your perspective. I hope it's jarred you in a way that's questioning, but going to Scripture. Um, after I'm done praying, uh, we're actually going to, I'm going to, I've got a different plan for this today, so for the people that are in charge, if you're wondering, hey, did he forget? I didn't forget. I got a plan. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray and dismiss you, and then uh, we can start setting up for the meal, okay? Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth. God, I thank you for allowing me to get up here and talk through it. Lord, I know that in my own mind it felt very inadequate and not nearly as definitive as I was hoping for. But God, I, I trust in your ability to take faulty human uh, efforts and bring good out of it. So I pray that uh, those that are in this room today will turn to your word, study it, read it, dig into it, discover truth, find hope, believe in you. Thank you, God, for not avoiding this topic in your word, but dealing with it head on. I pray, God, that you'd help us if we come to find that our views are different than your word, that the thing that would bend and flex would not be your word, but us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.